Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Delicious Podcast March episode with me, Julie Smith. This month, we're celebrating awards season with the launch of our own Delicious Produce Awards, sponsored by Fisher & Paykel, which will be travelling the country this summer in search of the best British artisanal produce. We meet its ambassador, the queen of Italian cooking, Valentina Harris, and charcutier, Sean Cannon, who tells us what's cool in cold cuts. Food writer, Diana Henry, tells us what makes an award-winning food writer, and Thomasina Myers gives us a slice of her life. Plus Life Kitchen, how to taste again when you're living with cancer. But first, editor and deputy editor of Delicious magazine, Karen Barnes and Susan Lowe, tell us what's in the March issue and how to get involved in the Delicious Produce Awards. I think highlights, in terms of Easter, when we were discussing it in the planning stage, we, for most people, it's a stretch of days off where you don't have to write cards and wrap presents and time can be focused on uh, feasting with friends and family. So we've tried to come up with every single recipe you could possibly need. And I would say highlights are probably... Uh, We've got Thomasina Myers, who is um, interviewed elsewhere in this podcast. Um, She's talking about her beautiful Sunday lunch that she's created with the inspiration of her mother, and they cook it together in the magazine, which is beautiful. One of the other highlights for me is the feature on celebration cakes, which really you could use for Mother's Day, for Easter celebrations. We have a crowd pleaser of a chocolate cake by Chetna McCann, scattered with everyone's favourite mini eggs but I love uh, caramelised white chocolate and tahini cake by John Waite but the thing we really need to focus on is a highlight of our year where we launch our 2018 Produce Awards and we're inviting people to nominate producers to enter and also we're asking producers to enter themselves but Susan tell us a bit more about the ethos of the awards. Well, it's all about finding people who are working on the ground to make food in Britain better. And that could be someone who's growing something, someone who's making something, someone who's producing something that's maybe a little bit left of field. We're looking for the kind of small producers, not the big, well-known ones, but we're really looking for the, what we call the, the sort of the underground heroes that are making our food great in the UK. We're going out into the regions and we're launching regional tastings, which is new this year. And so that is really going to make it utmost importance to to find people out elsewhere in the UK way beyond London and find the people who are you know maybe who haven't entered awards before maybe you're a bit cynical about them aren't sure if they're if they're good enough or that they're doing something interesting enough and encouraging those people to put their names out there and get themselves better known and to make their produce hit the headlines if it's good enough we're going to be visiting I think it's a total of nine food shows 
and the regional judges are going to meet at each of those shows, different judges in each region, and they're going to be tasting live for people to watch. So all the details about coming to see us at those shows are in the March issue, along with details about how to nominate your favourite bread maker, farmer, fisherman. Very keen on foragers. Charcuterie makers. Butter makers. So many different things. Ice cream. Anybody who's doing something special that you need to write home about tell us we want to hear and also we have a new category this year which is drinks so that could be anything from wine or sparkling wine which is absolutely fantastic in this country um, could be soft drinks um, any kind of like cordials cider craft beer anything that gets you excited when you drink it and you can find out how to apply or nominate your favorite food producer at deliciousmagazine.co.uk forward slash produce awards now, food writer Valentina Harris has just been announced as the face of the Delicious Produce Awards at the nine food festivals and shows around the UK from June to September this year. I met her to talk about her Italian regional cookbook, which celebrates the recipes and the real stories behind the best of Italian food. I asked her if, 27 years since her first TV series, she still sees herself as the word on Italian regional cookery. I very much see myself in that position of, of being an ambassadress, if you like, for what is real and what is authentic and true. Because in the end, it's about the producers. A lot of people uh, romanticise Italian food, keeping it very much in the 1950s, this sort of, you know, Sophia Loren idea of, of mm. what Italy is. But actually, you focus on the authentic recipes, and that's all to do with the ingredients, which is all to do with the producers, which is what we love most of Delicious. Exactly. exactly. It's all to do with the producers. It's always been it about the producers yeah. for me. It's about the rice grower, it's about the guy that makes his palm ham and tells me as I'm lying on my back in a, on a hill in Emilia-Romagna with you know, eating homemade bread with 18 slices of palm ham inside it, because that's the only way to really enjoy it, and a glass of homemade lambrusco in my other hand, he says to me, the only ingredient is the meat, the air, and the salt. That's it. And how can you possibly reproduce that in any other way than there, you know? The way you talk about Italy, it's the hidden Italy, isn't yes. it? And your beautiful book, I mean, it's an encyclopedic. Was that the idea to bring your real on-the-ground knowledge to this, this vast resource of Italian cooking? Well, I guess that about ten years ago, I realised I wasn't actually going to live long enough to get to understand and know it all. <laughs> so I sort of kicked back and relaxed slightly, you know, and... Um, it's all about the local customs, because that's really... I mean, I think Italy, more than anywhere else, because it's had such an extraordinary history, you can read so much about Italy from your plate. If you know what you're looking for, a plate of food in Italy that is traditional, that is local, that is you know, all, has all those values, um, just tells you about you know the history, the sociology, the climate, the geography... And then there are the stories, yeah. which are linked to heaven knows what. But you well, know, I, I love the panettone. I love the fact you've got three stories of panettone. But I loved the the, the panettone. Do you want to tell us? Okay, so poor old Tony Antonio, <laughs> the poor baker, was so in love with this young girl who would come every day from one of the grand houses to collect the bread for the household, and he tried every which way. And then, as they were getting close to Christmas. 
she constantly spurned him and you know whatever he made for her she said no you know and, and eventually getting close to christmas he made i pan de tony you know tony's cake and this huge he threw everything he had in there you know sugar butter eggs and then more eggs and then more butter and candied fruit you know panettone to make a panettone at home you have to be on some kind of martyrdom exercise, I think, because, you know, it takes seven, seven risings, oh and halfway through the baking, you've got to turn them all upside down and suspend them so that they take on that stringy thing. I, I mean, I only know one person who makes them at home, and her house becomes a hellhole for about a month around Christmas time because she nails eider downs to all the windows to stop drafts coming in in case anything catches cold. There are certain doors that are blocked off. She only makes seven. Seven one kilogram panettone. But you understand, this is a labour of love. And, you know, he presented her with this Christmas spectacular and she still said no. But we are all the richer because, I mean, who doesn't love panettone? You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the most popular trends in British artisanal food is charcuterie, and certainly one of the favourites for the Delicious Produce Award judges. But how do we know what to look for in our charcuterie? Sean Cannon of Cannon & Cannon in Borough Market gave me the crib sheet on cold cuts. Well, charcuterie is a very simple product, actually. It's, it's very much about the, the, the meat that, that goes into it. Beyond that, the addition of salt and then some, some aromatics, and that's it. So you have to start with quality. So you're looking for products that um, talk of where they're from, you know, ideally down to the farm and certainly the breed of the animal. And you can really tell the charcuterie, uh, the sort of um, how bright the meat is and how vivid it is. If it looks dull and it looks lifeless, then it's likely to taste that way. With pigs, the fat content is, is really important and, and it's fat that needs to be slow grown. So when you're talking about um, breeds like British Lop, um, or Gloucester Old Spot. These are animals that can't be rushed through. They have to be allowed to develop slowly and naturally. That makes for a lovely density of fat and that gives you the silky feel in charcuterie. And in lots of Cannon and Cannon's range of British charcuterie, that silkiness and that texture is what you will find. Forgive the pun, but you're a curator, aren't you, really, of, of meats from different places? Indeed, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we do. Um, we're in, we're in the, the lucky position, really, to get to try most of what's produced in the UK, and it's our job to find the very best and get it to the people. Right, what have we got here? This is a fantastic array. I'm, I'm, I'm drooling. <laughs> Tell me what we've got. You might think that a lot of charcuterie is the same. It isn't. Here on this board, we have got a seaweed salami here. So this is from Cornwall. We're really travelling the length and breadth of Britain with this board. So this is a British lop pork salami. The animals are reared, bred, and they live their whole lives on the farm outdoors um, then that's mixed with local seaweed from the co from the Cornish coastline uh, some cider that's made on the farm as well so really nice Cornish product they're moving on right up to the north of the country and up to Inverness this beautiful wild red deer salami with green peppercorns through it richer deep and the color of it I know you guys can't see but the color is dark almost kind of a bloody color now there's no blood in it it's a hundred percent wild venison meat but you know what that wild meat is this wonderful dark rich color so moving on to a couple of muscle meats so away from the salamis and onto a beef brisola a classic cut brisola but english beef brisola or british beef brisola is much more um 
much more kind of dense in its flavor. A lot of the um, Italian brasolas will almost just, just melt in the mouth. There's very little flavor there. These are very, it's a very serious piece of meat, our brasola, real depth of flavor. And a copper, or nape as we call it here, um, which is from a, again, from a British lop. This is probably my favorite um, cut of charcuterie because it is really simply just the play off of fat and lean these beautiful ribbons of fat that run through the lean um, just give it you get this silkiness and you get the deep rich flavor of the of the lean meat as well biscuits crackers relishes chutneys what do you what have you got here the absolutely ideal thing on a charcuterie board are what i call fridge pickles so that's taking root vegetables boiling them in pickling vinegar which you can buy from any supermarket letting it cool down um, and what you will get then is these crunchy acidic mouth-filling pickles that go absolutely perfectly with with um salty charcuterie mm. now yeah, with any of it, yeah, it's just it's just a really good combination. So you can often find cornichons, for example, um, or caper berries in your in your local deli. Any of them will work. What we have here is a wonderful uh, kicking tomato chutney. Nice spice to it, lovely richness from the tomato. And the crackers are from a, a bakery in Cornwall called Popti, and they have some seaweed running through it, much like the salami. Now we're all about awards this month, and March the 12th is when the Jane Briggs and Trust will announce the winner of the award for the new food and drink writer. Judged by, among others, Sheila Dillon, presenter of Radio 4's The Food Programme, Sean Hill, food writer and chef at The Walnut Tree in Abergavenny, and Geraldine Holt, the chair of the Jane Briggs and Trust. I met her with food writer Diana Henry to find out what makes an award-winning food writer and why Geraldine set up the trust to remember her friend. Well, the Jane Griggs Trust started because just before her 62nd birthday, she died in her sleep. Um, she had been very ill. She'd had cancer and she was in remission. And But we're all really shocked um, because yeah, Elizabeth David went on till nearly 90. Marvellous Julia Child right into her 90s. And she was at the peak of her writing and beautiful, marvellous mm. productions. But as I drove home from her funeral, I thought, I must do something else. Mm. And I knew she'd never had a great deal of money and she'd often had to borrow books. And I thought, I'll start a library of food and cookery books in her name. And so we set up this educational charity and it's gone from strength to strength. Mm. All the books have been given. We haven't bought a single book. Right. And then we decided that we would give an annual lecture, which we do at the Oxford Symposium in her name. And now we have started an award in her name because she wrote this wonderful piece about writing. Mm. Writing a book is for me an act of faith and folly. You have a plan, of course, but you bluster about in the work, following blindly, one step after another, slogging it out in the early stages. And then suddenly you come across one thing one reference, one passage that explains to you why you're writing that particular book. And so what we wanted to do was to give a prize for someone who had started their book and it had had a contract with a publisher, so that was good. It meant it was a certain standard, and but had not published it. So we wanted to be ahead of the game because most book prizes are for books that have been published. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you're, it's about finding new talent, isn't it? It's about it, well, encouraging and bringing on new talent. It is looking for promise, really. We, we sort out the ones that we think 
are really worth publishing and worth reading. Yeah. Diana, it's changed, hasn't it, the publishing world? Now you have to come with a, a real idea. You have to be quite clear about what you're trying to achieve and have some kind of reputation to be a good food writer. I think there are different kinds of food writers. I think there are plenty of food writers who write recipes and they write, you know, very workmanlike books. I think... The best writing is still the kind of writing that, that Jane did. You have to have an idea, yes, because you have to get it commissioned. But they are very organic. So you go along and you read and you then you test some recipes and you put a structure together of the chapters. You think, I'll have this essay in it, I'll have that. Then you change it around. I mean, mine change all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a, a great deal of bluster, an awful lot of reading, research, thinking, talking to people who then put you, they'll put you onto someone else, who'll put you onto someone else. And it can snowball or it can stall. And a long time that goes on before you quite know what it is. And do you know what? I never write the introduction to a book until I'm oh, at the end. Mm-hmm. Because it's only at the end that you, you know, know what, what the book is. Yeah. You don't, and quite often you're really depressed when you finish it. Because you think, that isn't the book I set out to write. Oh, it's awful when you finish it. Uh, because it's gone. It's mm. been so much part of your life. I mean, honestly, books... They just, they take over. I mean, in a wonderful way, mm. but then you do feel kind of bereft at the end. And it isn't just me, the people, the photographer, the designer and the cook that I work with well, as well on all my books, we all get that really awful dip. And then we say, well, we've got to start the next one because because we miss <laughs> each other and you miss the process. I love the process. It's a bit like giving birth, but then your child is... He's, he's very like he's gone out into the universe to the readers who then take it over and make it their own. Although then, then people write to you, which is great. Yeah, yeah it's lovely getting letters. <laughs> Tell us about the finalists. We the we finalists. won't know the, who has won this award no, until the twelfth of March. But who are the finalists? We have a short list of three really exceptional books. Um, we have uh, Najis Venkabur, who's writing about Casablanca, my Moroccan food. Mm. Lots of secret family recipes. Mm. Really wonderful. Mm. Uh, we have Sky McAlpine with a table in Venice, recipes from my home, marvellous celebratory, beautiful celebratory dishes. And then we have Angela Cutton, who's done a lot of research about vinegar, and she has looked at recipes, like different kinds of vinegar, and that's a fascinating book too. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. And we'll be meeting Sky McAlpine in the April episode of The Delicious Podcast. 24-year-old food stylist Ryan Riley lost his mum to cancer four years ago. But her legacy, he says, is Life Kitchen, his cooking classes for people living with cancer. I joined him at his first cookery course at River Cottage and asked him how it felt to be there. River Cottage asked me to come host Life Kitchen here and I couldn't be more pleased. I, you know Life Kitchen's in memory of my mother and River Cottage was her favourite. One thing she used to watch on TV. So tell us about Life Kitchen. Um, it's a cookery class, very simple, for people who are living with cancer. It's free, it's energetic, it's focused on taste and flavour. We're very much about build the building blocks to flavour, enabling people who are suffering from a loss of taste or um, a dull sense of taste to get the most out of their food. Chemo drugs are amazing in a lot of ways, but they can da- damage how you, your receptors um, or, or your smell. And most of you, you must know most of taste is smell, actually. Um, so what we're focusing on is umami-rich foods that stimulate not just the umami um, bit of your mouth, but all of the other taste receptors. It helps to boost it. And we're focusing on things like mint, which is going to get very technical, but that stimulates the trigeminal nerve. Right? Did you have to learn all this? I, I learned a bit of it. But what I've always said is that I will focus on the food side of things. Mm. I'm not a scientist. Mm-hmm. And the science out there for me is complicated and often misleading or um, conflictive. Mm. One, one, week, one week gets one thing, the other is another. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to stick to what I knew. Yeah. And what I know was food. I asked him what he was cooking. Today, an ultimate carbonara. So, you know, generally a very simple dish, but mine is sexed up. We've got um, onions and lardons and garlic and chilli. Um, the Italians will hear me because it's not, it's <laughs> definitely not authentic. But we're, we're not doing authentic here, we're doing flavours. We swept, swept that down, 30 minutes, salt was completely gone. And then we're tossing it through with fresh peas and mint and fennel fronds. And then we're doing a beautiful caramelised mushroom and caramelised pork dish with lentils and herbs. It's absolutely beautiful. Everyone who did that um, in the first session today has been saying how they've never had mushrooms like it. Rick told me what chemo for his throat cancer had done to his sense of taste. During the chemo, it just vanished. There was nothing. Um, it was just everything tasted bland. And I, I always liked a hot chilli and a hot curry, and they were just, there was nothing going on. But now I'm off the chemo. Um, I went, went through, because it was throat cancer, I, I couldn't swallow for, um, for many months. So I didn't eat at all. Um, I was just having um, supplement drinks through, through a tube, um, and now my now um, my taste buds have, have become baby taste buds. It's, so you're learning again. Uh, absolutely learning again. Um, so a chili is now the hottest thing in the world, and a curry is inedible because it's too hot. Broadcaster Sue Perkins had also heard about Life Kitchen and offered to help out for the day. I asked her why it had touched her. I'm here because. My dad had chemotherapy multiple times over over a 20-year period, and so I was very used to uh, the sight of him um, sitting at the meal table, not fully being able to enjoy the, the, the meal that my mum had made. And food is a communal experience, and you know when you eat a meal, we all experience the pleasure together. And to see somebody you love not being able to quite connect with that, it's very, very upsetting. Mm. Um, and I'm just here because I loved what Ryan's doing, and I think... 
um, it's just another piece of the puzzle to help people living with cancer have a better quality of life. And you can find out more about Life Kitchen online and donate via gofundme.com slash lifekitchen. Now you'll find Thomasina Myers celebrating Mothering Sunday and Easter by cooking with her mum in the March issue of The Delicious Magazine. And mirroring the magazine's slice of my life feature is Thomasina with hers. So my major early influence was Clarissa Dixon-Wright, one of the two fat ladies. So I met Clarissa Dixon-Wright going down a catwalk for Barber. I was wearing a, a Barber bikini and she was wearing a Barber overcoat. <laughs> and I was extremely traumatised by the idea that I was 26 and still had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And she said, what is your passion? And I said, well, obviously it's food. That's why I'm talking to you. But I can't work in food. She was like, why ever not? And she sent me packing off to cooking school and I never looked back. What's your life-changing revelation? Uh, My life-changing revelation is it's impossible to do it all and to be happy with that and to just think, well, I'll do a bit of this and a bit of that and I won't mind when I see other people doing stuff that I want to do too because it's just not possible to do everything. Your biggest inspiration? I've got two great inspirations. Uh, One is travel. Everywhere I travel to, I see new food cooked in new ways and new recipes, and that I find totally thrilling. And then it sounds a bit naff, but my children are a great inspiration to me. I love their childlike innocence, their creativity, the way they can spend hours and hours just creating with pens or or paint or Lego. I think it's brilliant. What's your favourite family dinner? So when we occasionally we go out for dinner and then I'm afraid it's the fish tacos uh, at Oaxaca that the kids love more than anything because they can build them themselves. But when we're eating in, what is our favourite family supper? I I just don't know. My children are so young that we don't see... My husband and I on a Sunday night will have Welsh rabbit with a delicious salad from the garden. And that is a great Sunday night tradition. Uh, And... Apart from that, I'm afraid we eat different things all the time. It depends what's been in the market and what is in our vegetable drawer. And that really is it. Uh, Downtime. What do you like to do in your downtime? Uh, Downtime, I like to... I love to read the weekend papers. Mostly I don't get around to it, so it's a real treat. Uh, I love cooking in my downtime. Sounds weird, but I do love cooking. Um, uh, So reading cooking and then box sets who doesn't love a good box set what's your favorite uh we have just finished boardwalk empire and i'm traumatized by what life will be without boardwalk empire now finally i found livy from the food team in the kitchen in the heart of the delicious magazine office testing out recipes for the may issue i asked her what she's cooking and um, today i'm testing some recipes um, for a shoot that we've got next week um, I've got a secret recipe from a chef from Caravan and I've got another Hungry Traveller feature. We're doing some ceviche tostadas. Lovely. So what are you going to do first? Um, I think I'm going to do this cornbread. Uh, it sounds really delicious. There's a few elements to it, so I'm going to get the cornbread on first and then do all of the other bits and pieces after that. So cornbread isn't a thing that I would normally cook at home. Are you going to tell me it's incredibly easy? 
it is incredibly easy. It's, to be fair, it's not normally a thing that I would cook at home, but whenever I do anything with polenta, I just always think it's so nice. And this particular cornbread I've heard amazing things about, so I'm really looking forward to trying it. Um, but polenta is one of my total fails. I tried to do polenta chips the other day. A massive fail. Oh, I'm no. not. You see, I'm not patient enough. You're supposed to make it first, then you chill it, and then you've got to put it in a block, then you can... <laughs> is that what you're going to do with your cornbread? No, it's... Um, it's just so all the ingredients mixed together, really, and there's some spring onions and a few bits of sweet corn in there as well. So, it, yeah, it's quite it's quite simple. I think it should be. I think it should work out really well, actually. And we can see the final result in the May issue, yeah. In the May issue, yep. Uh, yeah, the chef's secret recipe. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so your weekly podcast pops straight into your app. See you next week when we'll hear about the latest campaign from the Sustainable Restaurant Association, One Planet Plate, a recipe for a better future.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 